what if everything you thought and believed about successful buying, selling, and financing your home was wrong? Welcome to HomeWise with Michael Midget. This is where you can count on straightforward, objective advice on the right way to make the most out of every dollar you put into your home. Whether it's buying, selling, or financing, even maintaining and growing its value along the way. Coming to you from the News Talk STL studios at Union Station in St. Louis. Indeed, welcome to HomeWise Radio with Michael Midget. I'm Paul Cook, and I get to be here and learn so much. This is our seventh episode, and we are excited to push on and bring you some new content. Uh, I think you're really going to like it today. I want to say hi to Michael Midget. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Excellent, my friend. How is How's life? It's great. Yeah? It's great. Getting ready here for the holidays. Yeah, we're in the thick of the holidays. Well, you know, like, uh, doesn't Christmas start after Halloween now? Yes, yes, we're already at Christmas time, probably. Black Friday, you know, we're like right at it now, but it, I mean, it seems like it started a week ago or like a month ago. Cyber Monday, you got all of these holidays coming up. Yep, yep. Excellent. Well, good. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today? I think the P word, right? Price? Yeah, yeah. Um. It's it's a big subject, okay? So price, it's what's on everybody's mind. Um, when you're out Christmas shopping, you're looking at prices. When you're listening to the radio, watching the news, you're hearing about prices. You know, so there's this thing uh, in the news right now, inflation. We've been talking about net effect of which is prices are going up, right? Mm-hmm. So it's what's on everybody's mind. Absolutely, inflation, price, always, price inflation, always on and your things mind. like that. Mm-hmm. And so related to that. Uh, our rates, okay, and the narrative is that rates are high. Um, although, you know, I will I will tell you the last couple weeks, rates have actually been coming down, okay? So, you know, I don't want to say, I don't know where it's going to go, where it's going to go from here. It's in, it's a direct response to future expectations of what inflation will be uh, throughout the end of this year, moving into next year. Um, it's expected to uh, stop going up, at least stop going up so fast. So, um, and th- at, you know, predictions like that, of course, are always forward looking by definition. Uh, they're going to be forward looking. Mm-hmm. And so um, rates are, it's the cost of money over time, right? So it's that time factor. They're looking into what it might be next year, the year after that, what the outlook looks like. And then they're bringing that back to today to see what that price of that money should be. Okay, so a lot goes into that, huh? Right, but you know they've been coming down the last couple of weeks. But you know historically, at least compared to the last couple of years, um, they're still high. All right, mm-hmm. and uh, to bring out the trifecta here, home prices, home prices. When rates are high, when inflation is high, you expect that uh, those home prices would fall. And they have begun to fall some. They just haven't fallen as far as what uh, economists or you know people that forecast this kind of stuff would have thought. At least not yet. They're not okay. falling as fast as what they thought, right? Um, mainly because of supply and demand. There's not there's not a lot of supply out there. Okay, mm. so lack of supply is supporting that price because uh, there is still some demand. All right, even in the wake of higher rates. But we're starting to see some of that some of that change. So we'll have to keep an eye on it and see where it's going to lead us. But if we extract out of that the essence of that conversation, you know, as you alluded to the P word, price. <laughs> I like how you say that too about yeah. how I talk the P word. The P word. <laughs> well, I've never heard it, it called that like before, me. but I I mean, okay. All right. <laughs> We go with that. Hey, this is a show of firsts. That's remember? right. Exactly. Show of tangents and a show of firsts. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so, um, price. It's important. And it seems important uh, to us right now because when you're talking about uh, buying a home, it's one of the first things that we think of. All right? Mm-hmm. Um, what price can I afford? You know, what is it going to cost to get the house I want? Or to live where I want to live, to be in that right school district. You know, what price is it going to be? What do homes go for in that part of town? Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, just tell me what's the dang price. Yeah, right, right. Um, I know. We were buying a puppy recently, and uh, we kept saying, how much is the puppy? And uh, she would say, here's what we offer. We offer this and this. And you know, how much is the puppy? And you get these uh, bonuses in here, and the uh, the spay is 10% off. Really, how much is it? And then she finally <laughs> yeah. said the price. You know yeah. what I mean? And the, and that's all we care about. And first, buckle up. Beware. Yes. Beware. Like when there's not, like when you say, well, what's the price? And there's an answer that isn't like what you were like trying to get the answer of. Yes. Uh, like when there's a story attached not to a it. Number. Beware. Right. Just beware. <laughs> well, that's a marketing thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, price leads to the question that I get a lot as the mortgage guy in the transaction, which is, am I getting a good deal? Now, it's interesting mm-hmm. that I get that question. They don't ask that question to their agent very often. Um, <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's almost like a second opinion, mm-hmm. right? So that they're makes just, sense. You know, and they, it, 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 it's, it's a great question. It's, I don't know if it's the right time to be asking that quite, because but usually by the time they get to me, like they're already in it. They're uh-huh. in the middle of it. And then they want to know, like, looking backwards, well, you know, are, am I getting a good deal on this? And, um, you know, I mean, they're, you're at a you're at limited uh, limited ability to really affect that at that time unless you're just going to, like, completely pull out and back out. Um, but mo- most of the time, it's not a it's not a negative answer. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And then, of course, you know, there's things, dials we can twist and things we can tweak and do that I can do on my end to help increase the affordability or the, um, you know, make the answer to that question. Am I getting a good deal? I can, yeah, you're getting a good deal and I can even make it a little better. That's one thing I've learned by the way that we finance it. Right. So that's one of the core overriding tenets of, of the show. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but when they get to me, right. So am I getting a good deal? What's the price of the home? What's the payment going to be? And that's really, you know, Prices is, is kind of a, it's, you know, if you're not paying cash, it's just a number, right? It's a, it's kind of like a line in the sand or it's a, it's a point of reference, you know, okay, you're going to pay 200,000 for that house. You're going to pay 300 for like whatever the number is. Well, how do you know if that's the right number or not? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a number. Well, it's what it was listed at. Well, okay. Well, is that the right number it should have been listed at? I mean, am I overpaying, underpaying? So that is the answer, the second opinion that they're asking me for when they ask, when they really ask that question. Um, and that's a, that's a whole, that's an issue that's near and dear to my heart because I think that it kind of gets overlooked a little. And we're going to dive deeper into that in our next segment. Um, but for right now, um, let's just go with, uh, you know, they want to know what the payment is. What payment can I afford? Right. Mm-hmm. And so last week we kind of had to talk about difference between affordability, like the payment that you want to make, the payment that you're comfortable making, and the payment that I can qualify you for. Sometimes I'll get the answer mis mis asked. Um, you know, well, what can I qualify for? You know, like what 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 can I afford? They'll ask me what can I afford, meaning them. Mm-hmm. And I like I don't know what you can afford. Well, I mean, I have an idea what you ought to only afford. But, you know, I don't want to, not passing judgment, and I don't want to tell you what you should and shouldn't do on that. But, the, you know, and then I'll go in and explain to them the difference between affordability and qualification. Is can, part of that, that's great, sorry, yeah. the part, is part of that you can qualify for a lot more than you probably should? Yeah, well, let, let's not say, and that's okay, let's not say should. Okay, okay. okay? Um, because I don't want to pass judgment on somebody. I don't know what they can and can't oh, afford, or what you know, what they're, they're going to be, what they're going to be comfortable spending, with. Spending, yeah. You know, I mean, it kind of part of it is a personality uh, trait. Some of it's a behavioral trait. Some people are 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 better with their money uh, than others. They can stretch a dollar further, and you know, I mean, if somebody, sure. you know, if uh, let's say they don't, they don't have a car habit. Let's say. <laughs> You know, like, you know, I have that car payment that's as big as what most people's mortgage payment is. Car habit. Uh, Like if you got a four, if you have a four digit car payment or lease payment, um, it, 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 it might dig into what you can afford, uh, on a monthly basis on the house. Okay. Mm. Mm. 
just for me, I would prefer to spend it on the house and the car because the house has an investment component to it and I just get more enjoyment out of that. But again, that's a judgment. That's a personal, personal. thing to me. I don't want to, you know, push that on somebody else. So, I mean, if the car makes them happy and they can afford it and you can tell if they can afford it or not, when you look at their debts and do they pay them on time, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, hmm. that's all, that all gets baked in there into, you know, the system of that qualification. But if we just take a step back and that, 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 that top line idea is just recognize if you ask me if I, if, if you can get qualified for a house and I say, yes, I mean, yeah, you can, I can qualify you for it. Doesn't necessarily mean that you should mm-hmm. be willing to bite off that, bite off that payment. And if I, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I will gently suge- make suggestions, you know, like, you know, are you sure about the, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if they found a house, it's just a screaming deal and they're getting a big discount on it and it's in a great area and it's, it, it gets them everything that they need. And perhaps the investment component of it has a better outlook than other houses at maybe a lower price point. So you could justify, assuming that they can make the monthly payment so that their hold period is long enough um, to remove the risk from the ownership of, you know, remove the risk from the, uh, from the, from the ownership, from the transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm okay if they're stretching a little. You know, maybe they're pulling some money. Maybe they are saving money somewhere else and they're going to pull from some of that to afford the larger uh, payment. And the house is going to sort of replace as a savings component part of what they were putting away over here. That makes sense. So not a blanket statement. Can't say that for everybody. But that is like one pathway I could think of where it would make sense to do something like that. Okay. That's, uh, by the way, Michael Midget. You're listening to HomeWise Radio, homewiseradio.com. And I'm Paul Cook. We've been talking a little bit about prices, affordability. I like what you said. You're kind of looking at all the numbers and trying to decide on a personal level, help well, them with well, that. Y- yeah. And, you know, just to um, go back to something I said last week, the advantage that I have over what the the experts from, you know, from the show that we talked about last week, the advantage that I have is that I can look at a particular person's situation and help them work through it with that particular person, knowing all of the facts, all the information. If you're, you know, and a so-called expert and you're on the airwaves and you're talking to the masses. So just like here, you know, I have to qualify what I'm saying like in that last example there, Mm -hmm. I can't say that all the time it's going to make sense to pull money from, let's, you know, like reduce the 401k contribution and put it into your house. Okay. That that only makes sense if are under certain circumstances. And if you're able to afford that, you know, afford that, like afford that piece. Okay. So you wouldn't find that in a top line thing, uh, in a top line strategy. Okay, so we have the we have the benefit of being able to look at a at a specific situation. And in looking at that situation, what I do is um, that's where strategy comes into play. All right. So strategy, Mm -hmm. Um, for example, we've talked about your strategy guy, by the way, I am a strategy guy. Yes. Right. There's a reason for doing everything that you do. I mean, otherwise the job really gets, it gets exhausting. Mm-hmm. Like if you had, if you were just completely winging every, de- like every decision, like every time you help uh, somebody, and I don't know, I'm using the word help loosely. Cause if you don't, if you're winging it, like, are you really helping them? Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of makes it sound like a crapshoot. I'm not a gambler. So I don't, you know, I mean, that's especially when it comes to, personal finances. I just, we don't want um, that either personally, but I certainly wouldn't do that, do that for a client. So, I mean, I want, I mean, you know, there is a, there is a procedure and a process to go by. There's no one single right one, but there has to be something that you subscribe to. Like if you go to an investment advisor and if you ever, if you ever, uh, you know, are going to interview them, one of the questions that you might ask, suggest strongly that you ask that is what, what, what's their philosophy? Right. You know, 
real top like line that. way to look at this. You know, are they a growth person? Are, you know, are they growth or are they value? Hmm. You know, and I, you know, the people, the advisors don't really like split up that way so much anymore that they use, you know, like they used to. But that's a big, that's a big kind of like top line, you know, top line thing. And as I say that, I'm thinking of, uh, remember last week we were talking about Warren Buffett. Yes, the three experts. And I said the book that I have on my shelf from him would, you know, scream nerd. <laughs> uh, I went, I trying to remember uh, exactly which one that was. Um, and I'm still not going to say because <laughs> I got confirmation on uh, the, the outcome there. But... Um, you know, you have a, you need to have a strategy for everything. So Warren is a, is a value investor. Uh-huh. He's been a value investor all along. Uh, even when the tides changed here in the, you know, recent years, you know, where it's kind of been in more in a growth environment where you just kind of like put money in the market, no matter what you put it in, it went, it went up because, mm-hmm. you know, um, when the feds, buying bonds and pumping all that money into the economy. That's kind of what tends to (laughs) happen. Mm -hmm. So the value guys lagged the market compared to the growth guys, but he's always stuck to his stuck to his guns on that. Um, You got to have a philosophy, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's where, when I start talking about deal structure, how do you, how do you structure a deal? You know, rate versus price. You know, if you could negotiate the price down on a property, what should you pay for a property? Um, Maybe we can get money from the seller to pay closing costs. And then once we start doing that, we, I mean, that, that, that changes the evaluation of the return on the money that you're going to invest in the house. Because remember we said, if you subscribe to Rick Edelman, you don't want to put any money in the house. Yes. Because home equity has no rate of return. Um, where you fall on all that. So that's what, I mean, that's, you know, if I tried to boil down what I've, spent my career doing is formulating that me philosophy, what, what that is. Yeah. And so this show becomes the distillation of that, those ideas into actionable pieces, bringing awareness to it. Yeah. Right. And then over time there'll be on the website, homewiseradio.com will accumulate uh, videos and writings and articles on all of that stuff. So it's all in. So it's all in one place. Your brain online and on the radio. Like your strategy. Like a brain dump. It's pretty cool though, but it's it's a radio <laughs> show and it's online. Homewiseradio.com. And you talked about you know is price should price be the only lever you manage? And you got all the levers. That's what's really cool about what you do. I don't mean you possess them all, but you use them to make. To make it work, I'm not saying you're God, but uh, I, you know, you have, you definitely have a way to turning the bells. Well, that the, that the would dials. that would be a first. That would be a good. That show. would be a first. Yes, you're not God with right. Michael Midget. Well, we have a great guest coming up, and much more on what you're already talking about. Thank you for listening wherever you are. Uh, we hope you're having a great Thanksgiving weekend or whenever you are listening. It's HomeWise Radio with Michael Midget. I'm Paul Cook. We'll be right back. You're listening to HomeWise with Michael Midget. You said it. Welcome back. It's HomeWise Radio with Michael Midget. I'm Paul Cook. We're getting an education here. We have a fun guest coming up. Make sure you check out homewiseradio.com. Michael, who is this that we have with us today? Thanks, Paul. Um, In the studio, we have with us Kathy McKenzie from uh, Berkshire Hathaway Select Properties. Um, a real estate agent. Good morning. Thanks for Welcome. having me. Yes. Uh, How yeah. are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yourself? Pretty good. Thanks for jumping in here with us. Yeah, no problem. So we've been talking about price, like the whole big, ugly, amorphous idea hmm. of price. And I kind of hinted at a something that we were going to talk about. So um, wrapped around price. Um, in that price is important in the middle of the transaction. But before we get into that, why don't we, why don't you tell us who you are, like your story, your background, things like that. Just kind of let the listeners get a, like a, like an idea of who you are. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Kathy. I am a residential real estate agent. Uh, I do work for Berkshire Hathaway Select Properties 
in St. Louis. I am <laughs> I am very fond, actually, you mentioned price. I'm very fond of making sure that my clients are well informed of pricing. And it 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 didn't come easy for me in the beginning because I wasn't always a real estate agent. So a lot of a lot of agents have the 10, 20, 30 years experience behind them and they know the market and they are very familiar with how pricing works because they've learned that over the years. So I became a real estate agent in 2017. Prior to that, I was a teacher. I lived in Saugatuck, Michigan. And I decided I didn't want to be a teacher anymore. It was just getting a little too complicated. And I said, Mm -hmm. well, what else can I do? (laughs) So I thought, well, I'll just get my real estate license, Um, which was good because my husband and I were actually planning on purchasing some investment properties. So I did go ahead and get my real estate license. And then I thought, okay, well, now I might have to help people sell some properties. (laughs) And in order to do that, I should probably figure this thing out about price. Because if if you have a client who is selling a home, they look to you for guidance on what to sell that property for. What price are we going to list it at? Or if you're helping a buyer purchase a property, then you're going to help that buyer figure out what kind of price they want to put on that contract. So in 2017, like I mentioned, I became an agent and I sort of thought, okay, how am I going to figure this out? And I started speaking with another agent and she said, oh, I can help you. I said, well, how do you know this? And she said, well, I work for a bank, a third party, and and I do appraisals on the side. And I said, you're an appraiser? She said, well, not really. I do something called BPOs and they're Broker price opinions is what they call them. Interesting. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay. I haven't. I'm sure Michael has. Michael, you have. I've heard of them, yeah. Okay. So I so I started working with this bank, and typically they would contract with real estate agents to go ahead and pull data on properties and put it into a certain format, which is basically the format that an appraiser would put it in. So I... I I contracted with them. I went through the training. I started pulling data on properties. And this is before I was even really doing a whole lot of sales. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I'm the type of person that I need to know something before I go ahead and lead a client. I don't want Mm -hmm. to ever lead them astray. So like that just seems so like how else would you do it? Like how would you go in to do something and you had no idea how to do it? but not think about how I was going to do it before I did it or tried to do it, especially if I was doing it for somebody else, Yeah, you know? So, but it happens. It does. And you would think that you would get the training to price a property when you get your license, but that doesn't really happen. It's more along the lines of the legality of being an agent, the the ethics Mm. of being an agent. And then they throw you out there into the world, kind of like they do with teachers once upon a time when I did that. Right. Um, they throw you out in the world and they say, go ahead and do this. Mm-hmm. And so when you're a teacher, you learn to teach. And when you're a real estate agent, I hope that you learn how to consult with clients properly, meaning how do we price a property and what do you pay for a property? So I started learning how all of this fits in. And then I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Why Why have I not heard about this before? Because there are agents that do know how to do this. However, not all agents learn it. Yeah, it sounds like a good foundation you got. I'm blown away. That. I'm just yeah. blown away. Like, so they, I, I mean, I get the, I get the part about they don't teach it in school because there's, there's a lot of that in, in my, in my industry too, you know, uh, things they don't teach you in loan school, <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, that is, that seems, that's a very like foundational core piece of this is what, you know, if you're listing, what you're going to list it for, if you're buying, should we pay what it's listed for? Well, sure. I mean, and if you think about it, the real estate purchase or sale of a property is likely one of the largest transactions one of us is ever going to have at any one point in time in our life. I I've mean, heard that be- somewhere before. That's a, right? that's a, did, were you listening to <laughs> Homewise with Michael Midget? I might have been. <laughs> yes. Well, so, see, proof. Good to hear someone proof. Say it's it, real. Right? Somebody else said the same thing. Like yes. that's how you verify. It, you find two people that can agree on something. That's right. If they're both sane. Okay, so maybe. All right. 
Go ahead. No, you're I'm fine. Not, yeah, yeah, it maybe is. Not no, me. it yeah, is. I right, mean, right. It, it's very evident. If somebody and in Michigan, I lived on the lakeshore, so we oh, wow. we weren't spending you know pennies and nickels there. A, a lot of my clients were from Chicago or from uh, Detroit or Toledo, Cleveland. I mean, they were from other areas that were purchasing second homes, third homes, investment properties, and and. If you're coming in as an investor, that price tag is a big deal. Mm. So I learned very quickly, okay, how do we look at a property? Because when you look at a property, there's really two ways to look at it. Um, There is what is considered market value for a property, and there is considered what's appraisal value for a property. And they may or may not be the same thing. But if I have a client, I'm pretty sure I'm going to discuss both of that with them. Both of those numbers. Both of those numbers. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if you think about the market last year and feeding into this year, a lot of people were paying a lot for properties that were already listed high and they were paying 10,000, 20,000, 25, 30, 50, 80,000, 100,000 over list Mm. price. And if you're accepting a contract with those hefty numbers behind it, that buyer better be able to back up the numbers that they're offering. And so a lot of people say, oh, well, I can't believe that that property sold for that. Well, I mean, the the other piece to it is a property is worth what somebody is willing to pay for it, bottom line. Mm. And I learned that from one of my mentors way, way back in 2017 when I was trying to figure out, I you know, why would somebody pay this for this property? Because that's what they're willing to pay for it. Now, do they have a mortgage at hand? Are they paying cash? Do we have an appraisal that we need to consider? And what is the true market value? So a lot of that comes into play when I have a consultation with my clients. And then we talk about those numbers. And again, they may not be the same thing, appraisal value and market value. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, for me and what you just, to just, I mean, even acknowledge that all of those pieces are at play and, and exist. Um, it helps me out a lot in my job because I'm usually like the bad guy coming to the party, like, Hey, you know what, guess what? You know, cause I actually, I look at all this stuff before we get there because I don't want to get blindsided by, uh, an appraisal that didn't come in at what the agreed upon price is. So I love that where, way you distinguish between what a market price is, which is what two arm's length, uh, in an arm's length transaction, what two unrelated sellers are willing to agree upon sets the market. And at the same time, though, from the lending perspective, that appraisal kicks in um, and is a, it, it sort of tempers that, that market. So appraisers, and, and actually I give appraisers, like appraisers take a lot of uh, flack for the, you know, for, for what they do. It's kind of a thankless job, uh, when they bring properties in or over they you know, <laughs> they just get paid, um, their normal fee, but when they don't bring it in, yeah, they still get the normal fee now, but they also get an earful from everybody in the transaction. Cause at that point that you know who it is and, mm. you know, so yeah, um, like they got is, it wrong, you know, and, and I, you know, to argue appraisals after the fact is a very difficult thing um because you know if you just look at the success ratios on it you know if somebody has put their you know on their license that their you know a property is worth x um they're not going to change that just because somebody wants them to like you've got to show up with hard you know with hard data so if you had used hard data coming in up front then it greatly lessens the risk of that happening um, and even more importantly though, uh, because two, two, you know, two parties, a buyer and a seller can still agree to pay over what an appraisal is going to be. It happens all the time, but know that when you're making that offer price and you know, so. Yeah, well, that is correct. And so something else I would like to mention though, is that not a lot of buyers or sellers are aware is that an appraisal is an opinion of a price. So if a property has an mm. appraisal, that is not necessarily hard scientific fact. I mean, it is it is a manipulation of numbers to try to figure out what the value for that property could be should the bank need to recoup their mm-hmm. investment. And so the appraisal protects not just the buyer, but it also protects 
protects the banker. But if you get three different appraisals on a property, you will likely get three different prices. And they're all usually within about 5% of each other. However, there could be some variation. And so when I talk to my clients about appraisals, I tried to explain to them, okay, this is what I think that your house is valued at, market value or and or appraisal value. Um, and again, they may not be the same. However, this isn't necessarily, we're not genies. I mean, mm-hmm. real estate agents aren't genies. Neither are appraisers. <laughs> we're not genies. We, we don't have this magic that says this is exactly what this house is worth because there is a specific formula for calculating the value of a property. And you may have more more numbers than you need to use that are out there. So for example, if there are 10 comparable properties, well, an appraiser only needs three. They really only need three. And if this appraiser uses three and that appraiser uses three and another appraiser uses three, you could get a variation. It will likely be very similar. So I have that conversation with my clients and then we discuss, okay, what would be a good good price to put this property on the market um, at, you know, what are we, what are we looking at listing? And then for my buyers, I look to say, okay, is this a good market value? Is it under market value? Is it over market value? And what could potentially your appraisal come in at? And again, we are not genies. Um, Even those that really try to know what we're doing, we're not genies, but we will, I will help guide the way as best as possible. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because and it was never more apparent than it was the last couple of years, which is um, when the the market value, as you labeled it, was uh, leading the market and it was leading the market higher because people were paying, you know, inflated list price, paying over list to beat out other buyers. Um, it's that mm. supply demand curve there, you know, messing around with us. Um, you have appraisers that are being asked to meet those meet those things there there are there are you know in the system are the you know the formulas and and the um the methodology the way that they go about making doing an appraisal like that does take some of that into account but there is a point at which the market might be exceeding what the appraiser is able to account for. Sure. You know, so like if the market is going up faster than what an appraisal methodology will allow it to be, um, it, it just, it, it puts a temper on things, you know, and, you know, if we were having this conversation 14 years ago, back during the great, great, prior to the great recession, when there were a lot of looser lending guidelines, uh, it was prior to, uh, the, I know it as HVCC, the home value code of conduct. It has a new name. It, it, it be, that was a that was a code that uh, was initially put in place. It became a law and a reg. It has a different has a different name now, um, but it uh, that wasn't there, right? So you freely had, you know, I would choose the appraiser. I would I could call the appraiser up while he's doing the appraisal, and I could make suggestions to him. Hmm. Now there is definitely a moral hazard, li- ethics line, and you know, and all of that. So well, you, you don't want you to, certainly cannot do that. You don't today. want, yeah. Well, the, right, you do that today, and it's like go to jail. <laughs> is that you know? right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's is like it's full on serious. Like there is actually an entire new industry that is formed called uh, AMCs, not not the theater chain, but uh, <laughs> appraisal management companies. Yeah. AMC. They are an independent, com- supposed to be an independent company that is the go-between between the lender and the borrower and the people on one side of a, of a transaction and the appraiser, right? Oh. To essentially, essentially what it does is it, it, it keeps the interested parties to the transaction from choosing a specific appraiser. Okay. And then and as an extension it. of that, right? So we don't even know who it is ahead of time. We're not supposed to know who it is. We oh. don't know who it is. So like I don't want to find out who did an appraisal until the appraisal actually comes in and I have the report in my hands and I can re- read and see who the company was, right? Because the AMC is contracted with all kinds of appraisers and they're picking one off of a list or you know or whatever. I want to hear that. more about okay. that. That's very very interesting. And I saw you 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 you, know, you can't do that anymore. I want to hear. I love your passion, Kathy McKenzie, real estate agent, Berkshire Hathaway, home services. Are we gonna let? We're gonna have her on in the next segment, right? 
Are we going to? Can she do that? Sure. Keep going? Absolutely. All right. We got to do that. We have a quick break coming up, and we will be right back. HomeWise Radio with Michael Midget. Thanks for listening. I'm Paul Cook. HomeWiseRadio.com. Welcome back to HomeWise Radio with Michael Midget. I'm Paul Cook, and we have our guest, Kathy McKenzie. She's a real estate agent from Berkshire Hathaway. And uh, by the way, you can uh, see what she's up to, exceptionalhomesstl.com. And uh, we'll give you her phone number here in just a little bit. But we had a stimulating conversation going when we were talking about appraisals, about price, about you know, ways other agents approach this topic. And uh, I'm going to let Michael pick it up right where we left off. Sure. Thanks, Paul. Um, You know, we were talking about price and in the industry, whenever you're talking about price, uh, that, that always uh, evolves into a conversation about, about the appraisal because that's a, that's central and common to it. In the past uh, couple of years, we've been in a really hot market, uh, exceptional record breaking market. And, um, Kathy, you were talking about the two values. So the market value and then the appraised value. And, you know, basically in a, in a normal market and in a perfect world, (laughs) um, those two numbers would be (laughs) the same number, right? But depending on what the market's doing, they may not be the same number. And so really, I, you know, when we first started talking, I think the thing that really, like in my mind that I gravitated to was that you focus on this idea of pricing. And, you know, I really get the sense that it's to manage this mismatch between market and appraisal because most of the time, and this this goes for whether you're buying or you're selling. It's just, you're looking at the same thing from a different perspective, but when you have a property that's mispriced and you don't know it's mispriced until you're three-fourths of the way through the transaction, right? So a buyer, this is going to cause an issue, could potentially cause an issue for the buyer if they're not prepared for it because a lender is only going to lend based on the appraised value. So if there's excess between what the contract price is or the market that, you know, a willing buyer and seller have agreed to to pay and exchange this property for, uh, the lender's going to lend based on what the appraisal says. That can leave a larger, uh, well, at least a gap, right? An appraisal gap, as we call it in the industry, um, that has to be, that has to be covered some way. So if you know it going in and you can plan for it, I mean, that's one thing is you have two parties that are agreeing for that and they understand. But um, when you get knee deep in the transaction, I mean, sometimes it blows a buyer out like they can't like they don't they don't have the financial wherewithal to cover that extra. Sure. And the seller isn't willing to take that loss, so to speak, and 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 do a price reduction in order for that buyer to complete the transaction. So there can be that discrepancy that can be difficult to overcome, and then that's when transactions can sometimes fall apart. So it is very helpful to know going in if if there is that discrepancy and what does your contract look like because if i'm if i'm supposed to write a contract for a buyer i i hopefully want to let them know i will let them know this is what i think the property is going to appraise at and again this depends on if they're a cash buyer or if they have a mortgage because the appraisal typically typically is carried um, into the transaction because there is a mortgage that's going to come with it as right. well so I like to have this conversation with my clients and say, okay, I think this is what we could offer. It may or may not be market value. We may be outbid and not get the property. Or I've had it actually multiple clients, even in the heat of the last couple of years, where we went to look at a property and it was significantly underpriced. I mean, Mm. grossly underpriced. And this was a property that my client said, I really like this property. You know, why is it priced so low? Well, I mean, I'm not really sure. I'm not the listing agent, but I, I there is a right way to price a property. Is so, that like a red flag type um, situation? It's not or? necessarily a red flag. Perhaps the listing agent doesn't know how to price a property. 
And that's our gain, right? And that is we- our gain. So, so <laughs> I'll give you an ex- I'll give you an example. So, um, I had some clients earlier this year who were looking at properties, and their price point was up to four fifty. And so, we started expanding our price range because we weren't really finding what they were looking for. So, we found a home, and it was listed at three sixty. And when I ran the numbers, I said all day long, I think this property will appraise at four hundred five to four fifteen. We went in and offered even higher than that because they had some funds, some cash that they could write into uh, into the contract. And while everybody else was offering 375, 380, 385, 400, 405, we offered significantly more and the property appraised. Mm. And it didn't appraise just because the appraiser, I think, was trying to meet the number. I think I think the true value was there. Otherwise, I would not have led them down that road. So they did cool. get the house. And that's just one instance. I have multiple. They did get, in- they did get the oh, house. Good, good. Yes. And we did get an inspection. You got? Okay. <laughs> yes. That was smart too. Hey, yes. don't, don't skimp on that inspection. <laughs> Trust me. We got that is money well spent. in the heat of the so market. True. So <laughs> Yes. So, but I do have multiple instances where there were properties that were undervalued, under, under, priced when they initially went to list. Um, there is also the opposite where properties are overpriced and then they kind of sit. So that is why the mm. list price is important because you want the property to sell, but you don't necessarily want it to sell so quickly that you get 55 offers and a kitchen sink mm. because you really only need how many offers? One. One good one. That is correct. And typically the seller already knows what they want to get out of that property, what they want to accept. And then if it's even better than that, then bonus for me, because then my buyers get the property, right? Yes. (laughs) Happy. So, but it is also the opposite. Sometimes they are overpriced and I do have that conversation. So if I have a seller who wants to list it a little bit high, I say, well, the first week on the market will let us know whether or not we're we're in the ballpark. If we're in the ballpark, then we will have showings and they will continue into week two. If they don't continue into week two or we don't have a lot of showings, we may not be where we need to be. But again, it's not, I mean, I can have a consultation with a client and say, this is what I believe to be these values, but it's not my property. I'm not the one that owns it and I'm not the one that walks away with the paycheck at the end of the day. So I advise and we do what the client wants to do. You're a good right. teacher too. You know that I, I try to. I'm be. hearing it. You know that sounds a lot like a strategy to me. It is a strategy. <laughs> ah, good, if you Michael. don't have a strategy in this market, especially the last two years, and even before that, even in 2017, the market was hot, but it wasn't like red hot the way it got to be in 2019 and 2020 and 2021. So uh, you still need a strategy, even in a normalizing market, because how terrible would it be to underprice a property if you go to list your home? And and you're walking away and leaving money on the table. Or how terrible would it be if I told a client, I think that this is a good range for your list price, and then it sits out there. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So I need to make sure that I know what I'm talking about. And again, it's up to the client. Because if I tell a client, I think you should list at 400, and they say, I want to list at 425, I have that conversation. We'll know at the end of seven days, seven to 10 to 14 days, if that was a good decision and then we may need to have another conversation important information there that's really good you'll know within like the first 14 days uh if you've made the right well in last year's market you'd know in the first four minutes yes (laughs) (laughs) this market is normalizing a bit because of the interest rates that michael mentioned because of well now we're going into the cooler season right so typically people want to be into a property by thanksgiving or by christmas and nobody wants to pack the u-haul when it's cold so it's it it is very traditional to see the property, the market slow down and property sales slow a bit in the winter. And then they pick back up in the spring. As soon as warm weather hits, people clean their garage out, clean up the basement, list the house. It's as predictable mm. as a slot machine when it you is. look at it on a chart. It is. No kidding. It's very much uncanny. so. Like, I mean, you know it. I mean, you know it like it makes sense, right? When somebody yeah. tells it to you, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But when you look at the data and you see it on a chart, like, I mean, it's literally like, I mean, it's like, it's like a slot machine. The psychology but, of all of that. Is you know, it's something as you were, Kathy, as you were going through that, there's something that just kept echoing through my mind over and over and over again when you were talking about 
the, the, the proper pricing of a property and, you know, being overpriced or being underpriced and all those things. And remember, Paul, when one of the, uh, the core tenets of this program, the, op- the home, the, the family home being the epicenter of the, of the, uh, of the financial, you know, somebody's financial picture, mm-hmm. the, the place where the vast majority of the average person's personal wealth ends up. Right. Right. And the equity, so it's the, it's, it's the home equity. Home equity is just a calculation difference between what a property is worth, its market value, and uh, what you owe on it, right? So if you are selling at any given point in time, when, you, when you're selling that house, you're, you, it's kind of like you're, you're starting one chapter and you're starting a new one, if you think about it in terms of a book, right? So you have that, you have that chopping point. Um, when you're, when you're doing the math and the stats and the, the, all the, like the calculations and that, that's, that's important to know that because up until that point, you don't, it's not set. And so you can't do the calculations on what, what it is you're going to make and whatever, but you're, but that, that's like a break point, right? Mm -hmm. So, and it's at that break point that it actually, it's actually really that. And one other time is when it's important that you know what your home is worth. The other time being when you buy it, hmm. those are the only two points that matter in the calculation of what that what that equity number is. So, if you are and people really get the I don't want to pay too much, I don't mm-hmm. want to pay too much. Am I getting a good deal? Am I getting? Am I paying the right amount, Mike? You know, like the mm-hmm. second opinion thing that we talked about. Yeah, don't forget about the when you're selling it, right? I know everybody like wants to get as much as they possibly can, and they're so focused on that on that number. Um, but it sounds like you can actually, like, there could be a problem if you, if you go too high on that, but you also don't want to go too low. Correct. And you only know that if you do the work. Do the work, put in the numbers, and have somebody who knows what they're doing. I'm going to jump in. You mentioned our first segment. You know, you can listen to that, especially, you know, on the podcast on NewstalkSTL.com. Right there on the NewstalkSTL.com website, go to the weekend shows, and you can see Michael Midget, HomeWise with Michael Midget, and listen there and go back to that first segment. You can also do that at HomeWiseRadio.com. We invite you to do HomeWiseRadio.com. But, uh, you know, back to what you're saying, you, you got to do the work, put the numbers in right, and uh, uh, I jumped in there, but makes a lot of sense yeah, what you're and, saying. Yeah, and, you know, the point being that um, – not all agents do it. And so mm-hmm. to find one that does that, and it's actually like you have experience, extensive experience in it. I like to think that I do. It's it's what I learned when I first started because I felt it was so fundamental to understand pricing of a property on either side of the transaction because we're not just we're not just transactional agents. I mean, we can be. We mm. can be there just to facilitate the documentation for the transaction. And so many but we're are. so much more than that. We're I mean, clients look to us for anything and everything. And if you want to be the agent that helps guide them, you don't want to guide them the wrong way because that can be very detrimental to your no. reputation it's a reputation big, it's, a big deal. it's a big deal it is deal. a big deal I mean, it's why it's the it's the mission it's the top line mission of this it's, it is it's you know so me doing on what i do on my side of the in you know in my lane you doing what you do on your side of the lane when those two things mesh together that's when you get you know you get a great transaction that somebody is who's strategic smart uh has experience and uh they, they're a good person. I mean, I'm sorry. That's important, isn't it? The, it sounds well, like you are. I know Michael is. Well, I mean, it is important. There are a lot of agents out there. Someone so who cares. Somebody who cares. Deal. And so mm-hmm. when somebody goes to look for an agent, they try to work with somebody that they know, like, and trust, right? And that mm-hmm. trust is a big deal. You know, you, you might have... You know, cousin Eddie, who is a real estate agent, but you might not trust cousin Eddie. So it's important important that you that you trust whoever is helping you in this transaction because it. I think of it when when I 
discuss with clients when I have consultations with them I put myself in their shoes because I've done this before I've I have moved I I was a real estate agent in Michigan and I moved to St. Louis and I hired a real estate agent and we talked about numbers and I we went over appraisal numbers and she said well I think this and I said well I think this and guess who was right I was right <laughs> but anyway um and I got I still got the house it's I got the house right. it is good um and I got the house and it was great but I've been there I've done that I've purchased the home I've gotten a mortgage I've refinanced the house. I've gotten the HELOC, the line of credit. Mm-hmm. I've purchased investment properties. I I own multiple investment properties. It is important when you are handling and you're you're dedicating your life basically to paying sums of money for these properties. Yes. It is important to make sure that the number is right. And for some people, it's okay. A property is worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. And if somebody is willing to pay 450 for a property and somebody else is willing to pay 400, that doesn't mean either of them is right or wrong. It's just what they are willing to pay for it. So if that's what you're willing to pay for it, how can I help facilitate that transaction for you? Mm. And it's just, it's knowing, you know, if there's going to be a variance between the numbers, just knowing, knowing that going in up front so that you can have a strategy. So I was saying, I was saying, I was saying when it comes to strategies. Um, So in the context of what we're talking about here, either you have a plan for buying or you're at the mercy of the seller's plan for selling or vice versa. So that's um, a great point. I mean, we have to end it there, but that is such a good point. And another Great guest today, Michael Midget. Yeah. Kathy McKenzie, great job, real estate agent, Berkshire Hathaway, Home Services. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. She What's gets that going. number? What's that number if people want to get in uh, direct contact with you? Okay, get your pen. Uh, you're going to need it. it. Okay, yes. <laughs> it is 636 696 6794. Thank you. You're and then great. the website. Uh, one more time. ExceptionalHomesSTL.com. Awesome. And how do we get a hold of you, Michael? Uh, you Your can find number. me here at HomeWiseRadio.com, the podcast. Uh, if you haven't found me on Facebook, find me on Facebook. It's yeah, HomeWise Facebook. with Michael Midget. HomeWise Radio with Michael Midget. Mortgage website, GoShelter.com. Uh, if you want to call me direct, call it or text 314-275-0314. That's Michael Midget. I'm Paul Cook. Thanks so much for listening to HomeWise Radio. HomeWise with Michael Midget. Loan and loan information provided by Michael Midget, NMLS number 205402, and Shelter Mortgage, Inc., 691 Trade Center Boulevard, Chesterfield, Missouri, 63005, NMLS number 192609, a Missouri residential mortgage licensee.